Yo, 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 Ringer FC. This is Donnie Quag. Let's just get right into it because we just watched an amazing match. Serge Gnabry, four goals. Bayern Munich, Tonks. Tottenham Hotspur, 7-2 at their new stadium. Connor, Micah, what did you make of the game? I'll start with you, Connor. It got out of hand there towards the end. You know, I mean... You think? <laughs> you kind of, you, you waited. When it was it was 4-2, you thought, all right, you know, maybe Tottenham can have, can get something out of this or at least kind of push them to the end. And then the wheels just came off towards the end there. It was... Uh, you know, it, it could have it could have even been worse there too. They just they just totally flatlined. Yeah, I mean, like it was definitely one of those situations where they it just seemed as though I think that probably the best description I read about it was uh, in the Guardian live vlog where the writer was just kind of like it. Tottenham is like a rubber band that got stretched past like you know the point of being able to return to normal and then they were just kind of like languid at lying all over the place um getting diced up by I mean just well just getting diced up in general I mean they were just behind everything for a solid 20 minutes it was only 2-1 to Munich I mean Spurs scored first Sonny scored and it was 2-1 Munich at halftime and I saw a lot of Spurs fans saying that if it weren't for some missed chances, they could easily be up three to two, four to two. But then, like kind of you said, the wheels just fell off in the second half. How, how much of this do you attribute to some kind of underlying fundamental problems with Spurs right now? Because they are in a very kind of tough stretch of games, even whispers about Pochettino, you know, falling out of favor. I think if you want, you can be generous to to Spurs and say that, you know, the last goal... It's a little bit fluky. I think uh, Tolisso, Quarantine Tolisso, thought he was going to get a penalty. And as he was, you know, gesticulating wildly on the ground, uh, the ball just kind of bounced off of him and fell to Lewandowski, who just, you know, put it away clinically. So 2-1, you know, you could, you could argue that that was a little bit unfair after the first half. And I just think in the second half, the, it, it's always a point of weakness, I think, with Spurs, especially against a team like Bayern. But they just got completely overrun on the flanks. And then, you know, you can withstand that pressure for so long, but then they just they kind of collapse in the midfield too. And and once that happened, I mean, I think Bayern took on, put put on Thiago Alcantara to start the second half. And I just think him playing deep and that combination with Coutinho and they they just once once they kind of uh, once they collapsed themselves in the midfield and the and the flanks opened up, it was just it was just open season. Yeah, it seems like the main two scapegoats are Harry Winks, who was playing basically a DM role, which he seems ill suited for. And then, of course, we talked about this earlier this year that Spurs right back situation is kind of dire. It's Kyle Walker Peters and now Serge Aurier, who was just toasted. Who could by have Canaveri. predicted? Who could yeah. have predicted? Who could have predicted? But <laughs> I mean, I mean, those were clinical finishes by Gnabry. Every goal was to, great. I mean, that's one yeah. thing because I, I think I, I joked about this too. I mean, you know, Larice is not you know at at his peak playing days but i i mean every single one of those goals was just <laughs> clinically taken yeah yeah i mean the thing is that with uh i mean like you could have said something about you know the defensive midfielder later on in the game but for the first half hour there i mean and Dumbley was putting on a masterclass. I think Son had like four or five chances inside the first 10 minutes and like Byron wasn't really doing anything that a better defensive midfielder than Harry Winks might have mitigated uh, for a time. And then they got up to one before the half. And even so, when, you know, like we were talking about when they came out of it, it was just like, you know, Tottenham could have kind of had it there. Maybe if they, after the restart, if they press a little bit harder. Because, I mean, like, they didn't look like the kind, they weren't putting out a bloated, turgid performance like they have been kind of when Ndombele isn't present. 
this season so far. I mean, like they were more energetic, they were running more, they were creating more chances. And then it was just kind of, I don't know where it went in the 56th minute. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and Dombele went off too. So to, to the credit, I mean, I think, you know, the shape and the engine in the middle of the field there. I mean, I think Winks, that's when he started to become overrun. And it, it seems slightly strange because he's he hasn't been there very long, but it almost just feels like Ndombele has become their most important player. Um, you know, I mean, outside of Kane and the goals, it's just with, with Erickson kind of, you know, in and out of the squad and and Ali, Deli Ali just coming back from injury. I mean, he really has been the most stabilizing presence in the midfield for them. And they just, uh, they just could not cope uh, in the second half. Yes, Spurs still ended up with 15 shots, eight on target compared to Bayern's 19 total shots, 10 on target. So as, as we've been saying, they did have their chances. Uh, you know, what do you think is going to be sort of the narrative now after this match? I mean, on one hand, it's just one Champions League group stage match. So, I mean, obviously... Yeah, it, but it's affects, a 7-2 shellacking at home. It does. It does. It affects goal difference. Uh, you know, for Spurs, Olympiacos also lost. So that's in their favor. Um, you know, they're only on one point after two matches, but certainly they can come back and still qualify for the knockouts. But, you know... As I've been saying, the grumbling around Tottenham has been getting louder and louder, and this certainly won't help. It's tough to come back from these, and you don't want to be too fatalistic into it. And you know, it's just we're, yeah, we're as Arsenal moment. fans, Connor, we know. Yeah, well, but but you do think back to you know the when you know United beat Arsenal eight two, and there was a there was a bad you know they were Arsenal was on the other end of a pretty bad thrashing against Bayern Munich in the Champions League, and those losses do tend to you can make a lot of excuses, and you can kind of paper paper over a lot of you know, clear fissures in the squad and things that are happening around Tottenham. And we're all aware of what those are. This is the kind of result where those things really kind of come into focus and you think like something, something's up. Yeah, but the thing is that like they, I mean, let's not, let's not gloss over the fact that Bayern have kind of been making, well, you know, d- despite Bayern being Bayern, uh, they were kind of, the preview pieces around this match, like all centered around how they all had strange things going on behind the scenes. Like, um, Leonis like trying to keep players from playing for their national sides, but then having to walk it back. Uh, the fact that they couldn't really secure the next phase of their attack by you know like not being able to secure the signatures of Leroy Sané and Timo Werner and Callum Hudson Odoi over the summer, and having to re up with Benjamin Prevard and Lucas Hernandez. But the thing is that it's been working because Coutinho and Navri have been as good as they have been. I think that's an important point. I think it's also it's, you know, Bayern go through those cycles every year. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I mean, like, it definitely, very, like, this, it, results like these throw, you know, headlines like that into sharp relief where it's just like, no, these are what actual problems look like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these are the first world kind of big club problems that, that Bayern deal with on a regular basis and Tottenham, you know, just haven't haven't been faced with yet. And Pochettino as a manager really hasn't kind of uh, been been faced with yet. And and I, I, I do think with Bayern, too, though, it's it's... You have to kind of really give credit to because that really was an incredible performance. I, I love seeing Coutinho back in the role that he was just kind of born to play. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he was just made redundant at Barcelona, and it didn't work out. It's he is the kind of player that I think Bayern has just been screaming for 
Um, a lot of that incisiveness comes from the wide areas in the past with them, with Robin and, and Ribery, and I think they've really been missing that kind of a player. And, and him and, and Alcantara, just it, that's just such a delightful pairing. It's really just like when Alcantara came on in the second half, it was literally like time slowed down when he had his foot on the ball. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, that's it is a, a first a world FIFA problem. Match. Yeah, when you're talking about like Bayern transitioning from an older generation to a new guard. You look at Coutinho at the number 10, flanked by Gnabry, Coman, and Lewandowski up front. I mean, that's a very potent attack. So, I mean, they God, are... Lewandowski is so fucking good. <laughs> and he's like definitely top like three strikers in the world. And he's not three. I'm very, like, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to him kind of entering that phase in his career where I think he's been asked to, to do a lot. He goes the last to MLS. Years. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, but where he just, he just like, he's out there and he only gets like maybe 10, 12 touches in a game and he scores two goals. Or, you know, he can just be that, that poacher in the box and, or kind of, you know, score the goals that he scores. I think he's been, I think he's been doing a lot more than he's probably, you know, has, has, He's been asked to do a lot in the last uh, couple of years for that team, and I think having being able to play off someone like Coutinho, and and having you know the the wingers on out wide, it just gives him the you know that last just opens up his body, um, you know, just kind of places it in with, oh, his, yeah, with the instep yeah, yeah. of his foot. I mean, it. it's just that, like I, like we were saying earlier, it's just the fact that like when Tottenham had Bayern pegged back, like the fact that they were able to win that half was down to the fact that they had. Players like Lewandowski or Serge Gnabry that can do that, that like can have those moments of like individual magic. Like, because I mean, the the goal that the first like the first goal he scored off of the half turn and like stuck it in the far corner from twenty yards out while falling down almost. Talking about Lewandowski, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, do you understand the technique? Holy <laughs> shit. Uh, Connor, you know, obviously we're Arsenal fans and, and Serge Gnabry famously uh, came through, you know, was a Wenger recruit, uh, was loaned out uh, to West Brom uh, and, you know, didn't get on with Tony Pulis, eventually went back to Germany. Uh, you know, he's been building steam over the last couple seasons featuring for the national team, but you have to imagine scoring four goals in a Champions League match against a Premier League team is a real coming out party for him. Well, that well that he didn't get along with Tony Pulis is probably a good sign that he was destined for great things. <laughs> uh, I, I look, I, I we were talking about it before we we recorded Donnie. I I'm, I did not expect. I was sad to see him go. I always liked him when he would appear there. You know, he never got enough of a run. Um, you know, I think Wolcott got a lot of his minutes, and and then when they signed Alex Ox- Oxlade Chamberlain, it just I did not expect this from him. You know, I thought I thought he was going to be a guy that was going to be kind of a solid Bundesliga level player, but that he's you know he's he's scored. I think he's got nine goals so far for the national team, and and has become just such a vital part of this Bayern team. I w- I was not anticipating that, so that's another one for uh, for Arsene Wenger's memoirs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, still uh, and still only twenty four years old. So amazing, amazing performance by him. All right, so quickly the other Champions League results today: Group D, Juve three 0 over Leverkusen. Atletico 2-0 over Lokomotiv Moscow. Um, PSG beat Galatasaray in Group A. And then the other big match that most of us watched, the early match, uh, Real Madrid surprisingly held to a draw by Club Bruges. 2-2. Two, two. What did you guys make of this one? Surprising because Bruce should have taken the three points on this one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they, um, they were up 2-0 uh, in, the, in the second half. And then uh, Sergio Ramos had a VAR goal. Uh, you know, it looked like it might have been offsides, but they counted it. 
And then Bruges had a man sent off and uh, off a set piece, I believe Casemiro scored on a header. Yeah, Madrid spent the the final 15 to 20 minutes or so employing their desperation tactics against Club Bruges, which is <laughs> something else because, I mean, like Marcelo was pushing out the right flank. Sergio Ramos was playing attacking center mid. And they still did manage to get the win. Yeah, lots of shots of a very pensive-looking Zidane on the touchline. Yeah, I, I, Tim Tim Howard, who, you know, shout out to Tim Howard. He's doing, uh, he's going to be kind of doing the, entering the punditry probably full-time now. He had said, you know, that the, the high line Madrid playing, it was disrespectful. I think that was a word he used, and I kind of thought, you know, it, 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 there, there was something to that. I think the thing with Madrid is that, you know, they've, they've kind of had that quote-unquote crisis at the beginning of the season. They've kept clean sheets in the last three La Liga games, uh, you know, th- mostly through... Barcelona's struggles, they they have managed to kind of get to first place in La Liga. So I think maybe since that PSG game, they thought they had righted the ship a little bit. But Yeah, beating Osasuna and beating uh, Sevilla. Sevilla. Um, but they also, I mean, had yet to register a point in the Champions League in the group stages because of the 3-0 loss to PSG. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, like, yeah, playing a high line against a team that in the domestic league is at the very top of the table in the, in the Belgian league. And, uh, you know, on a run of 14 games unbeaten and outscoring their opponents 21 to three are <laughs> like not numbers that you can totally ignore just because you are around Madrid, especially when you're on a poor run of form. Yeah. And speaking of coming out parties, uh, Emmanuel Bonaventure, did you guys see, uh, well, he scored both of the goals for Club Rouge, but he also unveiled a troll CR7 celebration at the Bernabeu. <laughs> just an, I, an, an amazing moment yeah well first Wait, of all this, both, was this after the f- the first goal where he tripped over his dick and no, and, and managed to score <laughs> actually the both of the goal, goal both of the goals he was kind of like stumbling over his feet yeah but the second one was actually like although he was stumbling in the second goal if you rewatch it the the way that he manages to shape his body and then dink the finish is actually like really impressive <laughs> yeah well anyway I mean he definitely made his name tonight that celebration alone uh, made him a hero on social media. He's 21 years old, Nigerian. Look out for him. And then in Group C, uh, Shakhtar Donetsk at the death uh, scored to beat Atlanta 2-1. to Atlanta's in trouble now. And Man City, Ho-Hum, 2-0 over Dinamo Zagreb. Tomorrow's matchups, there's a bunch. I don't I guess I don't need to go over all of them. Uh, the main ones, Liverpool at Anfield playing host to the Erling Horland show. See how many he can score at Anfield. Uh, what else? Barca Inter. Yeah, uh, in Inter without Lukaku. Apparently, according to Antonio and, and, Conte. And Sanchez too, maybe? Oh, no. Alexis got a red card, I think. But that was I don't in the league that, game. Was yeah, that, that was in the league. Yeah. Uh, Chelsea at Lille. Um, so, yeah. Check those out. And now let's get to the Premier League. And Monday's match of great interest to everyone here on this panel. <laughs> United... I mean, <laughs> even not even great interest to everyone on this panel, <laughs> despite all of our interests being represented. At the Theater of Dreams, Manchester United won, Arsenal won. Uh, in the words of Roman Roy, watching soccer, it's like two eunuchs trying to fuck a letterbox. It's a great quote from the last episode of Succession. Anyway, the game was called many different things by many different pundits. Insipid, boring, painful, a great rivalry drowned in a downpour of mediocrity, uh, said the BBC. A downpour, it was literally raining. What say you guys? Um, yeah, that was awful. I hated it. Like, all parts of it. 
except for I mean, like even the Scott McTominay goal, like I had the the like Jason Bateman at the Emmys accepting his award reaction, where it's just kind of like, eh, yeah, okay, sure, this is, uh, I guess, you know, that's how this is gonna go. Huh? Exactly. Great. Scott but, McTominay is like the backup quarterback that Micah can't ride for, even when he does well. Yes. Uh, are you are you are you comparing him to Luke McCown? Yes, exactly. That's 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 exactly even, right. Even the chippiness, even kind of the the shithousery, had a certain just unearned quality to it. There were a lot of really. Just really savage tackles flying through. And even then, it just felt like the thing guys is that, were almost like, playing at it a yeah, little bit. Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, you know what? Actually, Donnie, I'm going to turn this back on you. Did you yeah. enjoy, like, what did you, did you like it? Or, I mean, like, did you enjoy yourself? Did you have a good time? Because uh, I felt like I, this, like, two hours I'm not getting back. Well, back to the downpour thing. I do think that the rain definitely played a part in the sloppiness. I mean, there were a lot of balls kicked to touch that, you know, like a lot of unforced errors uh, all over the place, which uh, I get, you know, it wasn't necessarily a great advertisement for maybe the quality of Premier League football. But when I was seeing all these people, you know, complaining about how boring or, or, or you know, um, uninspiring it was, I, I, I found it entertaining. Like I was entertained. I think it was tense. Um, it was entertaining. I it mean, was, like in the sense that it was soccer and there were people doing stuff. Sure. Yeah, but, but I, I mean, mean, I mean, but there's like nil nil and one one draws that are truly insipid, where it's one team parking the bus, maybe, or just a lot of lateral passing. Uh, you know, the 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 from the from the jump from the opening whistle, I thought that the the pressing was pretty frenetic on both sides. Um, you know, strategically, it was interesting seeing. Uh, United have uh, a lot of the ball in the beginning and, and Arsenal trying to press them and then Arsenal trying to counter to no avail. Uh, you know, a lot of play, you know, a lot of decision-making in the final third wasn't the greatest. Uh, but it was also, you know, like these are, you know, speaking of transitional stages, these are two teams in transition. So it was interesting to see, you know, Saka play or Chuanzebi play, you know, like these guys that are young teenagers uh, getting their, their chance at a big match. And you so see, it wasn't perfect. Yeah. But I was entertained, and, and, it, and it was like close. It was tense to me. You know? Yeah, you, you could see too. I mean, you, you could see what each team is trying to do and kind of how it envisions itself, the kind of team it envisions itself being, but kind of how far away they are and how flawed they are in, in each of those approaches. So it's it was revealing in that regard. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, given that these are clearly two teams in transition, I'll pose this to you, Michael. Which side do you think looks closer to breaking through and, and having more of a formed contending team? Well, uh, let's see how 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 best to put this. I mean, I guess you can say neither if you think they're both. Well, no, flouts. I mean, like, I, like I think that the the, the what I the knee jerk reaction is to say neither, but I think that Arsenal are further along down the path of figuring it out. Whereas like Manchester United, I mean, both of these teams were kind of built expensively and lopsidedly and, you know, like kind of are missing a lot of parts. But United is just nothing works like it should. <laughs> There's nothing like nothing on the nothing makes sense together. And it's still the same case that it was before there's not like a manager that can come in and fix it there is not a like the entire infrastructure has to change but both of the both of these clubs are just in this place where they have to i mean like say right now like connor if i were to ask you what arsenal's spine is can you tell me like do you have like three or four 
players that, you know, like this no. is, you don't have that? I mean, I, you know, I, I would not like the answer. I could give you the answer, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be happy with it. Okay. But is, you, is, do you there, mean is there an injury, is, is there, is there an injury that could happen to any one specific player that yeah, would? Obama then, Okay. I mean, when you say spine, there's spine in the football sense, there's spine like metaphorically in a body. I mean, because Obama Yang is both I mean, the, head, in the, the head. sense. Yeah. Okay. I mean, because then you're mostly talking about like kind of like the midfield, right? But Obama Yang is obviously the most critical player. I mean, you know how Pep used to call Spurs the Harry Kane team, sort of as a pejorative. This is definitely the Obama Yang team because he has saved our skin. Well, I, th- so I think many to, times. to Micah's point too, if I can pick up what you're putting down, like in theory, United are closer to that. You have Maguire. You have De Gea, Maguire. Exactly. Pogba, Rashford. Exactly. That's it's, the spine. It's what it that. should be, right? But that's not what it is because it's so destroyed and nothing ticks over like on the same, at the same tempo. Like, you know, they miss, like passes are so often misplaced. And on top of that, if an injury befalls any one of them, like United go from being a mid-table team because that's what they are right now. Like, I mean, like 11th. in spirit and yeah, and in actual standing. To being like kind of lower mid table, like at best. So the question I guess I would put to you after in response to that is is how much of that is a coaching problem or how much of that is a personnel problem? Well, the thing is that like it's it's not really one thing or the other, is it? It's just like it's not one thing, it's the whole thing. Both are true. It's, yeah. yeah, it is. I mean, like I can absolutely say that like waiting till the seventy fifth minute to make a sub when things are not going to plan is, you know, shooting yourself on the foot, but also um we needed a lot of things that we didn't get over the transfer window. And the thing is that like if even with Aaron Wambasaka being out injured or, you know, like whatever, Daniel James being as good of an addition as he has been, or Harry Maguire being whatever, none of those are, like, even if they both, even if all three of those players had 10 out of 10 games every time they stepped on the, on the field, it doesn't, there's this weird feeling that it wouldn't change United's fortunes at all, you know? It wouldn't make them a top four team. There's something that seemed, I think, so we're at the point now where United have, Nine points from seven matches, which is their worst start, worst start in 30, 30 years. years. 30 years. Yeah. Um, they're scoring the first goal in a lot of these matches. <laughs> and and the amount of just 1-1 draws that are on there, kind of, it, it's, I think it's indicative of something. Because Arsenal, it's clear. They're going to give up just, you know, more chances than any other team in the league. They're going to, you're going to score in them, but they're always, they're always going to be a threat to score goals. I mean, they're going to give up two goals to Villa, lose a man, and then come back and win. Like, that's just, they're, they're kind of drunk in that way. Mm-hmm. I think with United, there's just something, you know, there's the details that they're not getting right, where they're, they're, they are kind of taking control of games early, and they're just either not able to finish them off, finish the, finish the game off, and, and I don't know what they're lacking in that regard well, to, didn't to we take s- that next step. Didn't we say or in, in our preview episode, or didn't I say, that without a plan B, without a striker, you know, uh, you know, someone to bring off the bench, that that would be a problem? Someone to bring off a bench too, but also just, you know, the striker that they do have. Um, you know, I think it's the reasons for letting Lukaku go. You know, maybe he didn't want to be there. Maybe he wasn't going to be Solskjaer's guy. Um, I mean, Sanchez was obviously, they were happy to to be rid of him. But, you know, they they went into the season with Rashford and Mason Greenwood, knowing that that was going to be their strike force. So, you know, there is obviously... And Martial, I guess. And Martial, yeah, that's true. Um, 
you know, they talked about the need to bring somebody in in January, but I do think that there was this, there must have been an idea that Rashford could be that guy, um, could be could could be the number nine. You know, he spent a lot of time playing on the wing, and I, I don't know. I mean, what do you think, Micah? Do you think he's that guy? No, no, I don't think he's that guy. <laughs> you asked me that, knowing that that was what I was going to say. No, absolutely well, and also, not. There, there, there was kind of an interesting exchange, and this was after the West Ham loss, where their Sky Sports was were doing their uh, their post match uh, roundtable, and, and Jose Mourinho was there, and he was there with you know Graham Souness and Jamie Carragher, and and Mourinho, in his kind of typically kind of cryptically vague way, had had said, you know, they were asking the question of whether or not they they made a mistake by letting Lukaku go, Lukaku go. and you know Mourinho made the point that by letting Lukaku go, they they made the decision that Rashford was going to be their guy. And he also said, you know, there is, and this is his quote, there is the young and the young. And Mar- Marcus Rashford is, of course, very young, but five seasons in the Premier League. And I think what he was oh. reading between the lines, I think he was saying, yes, Marcus Rashford's 21, soon to be 22. Um, he's still still very young, but he's had enough games under his belt to maybe show more than more than he's shown. Well, yeah, I mean, like, it's the Jesse Lingard problem where it's just kind of like he's still securing new contracts off of one good month two years ago. <laughs> but Lingard's 26, though, so. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, I mean, like, there's just so many players that are just never going to be able to, that don't seem, that's, I don't want to say never, that don't seem like they're really heading down the path to being able to shift this nebulous sense of incompleteness around them. That's a good, yeah. And, and I think to circle it back to Arsenal too, like there is that sense when you watch that game that with as much money as United have spent, they still seem so many players short in so many areas. Whereas Arsenal, you can, you, you know, you, you, you plug back in a Bellerine, you you know, you kind of, you, you have, you have, uh, you know, you bring back a Lacazette and, I think the shape of the team comes together a little bit. I mean, at least their their areas of need and their deficiencies are completely clear. With United, you just you, you just look around and there's just too it's, much. It's literally like when you are throwing all your clothes on the bed before you have to pack for a really long trip and you just want all new everything. It's just like I, I there's nothing looks good, nothing is going to work together, <laughs> and like you know at whatever at this point, like yeah. it's the the there needs to be a lot of changes. I mean, Arsenal up to this point, seven matches into the Premier League season, haven't had their full, you know, starting backline, and so that's a factor in their performances. However, I think the hashtag Emery out crowd are angry about. I think that you know they think that Granite Xhaka is the hill that Emery is going to eventually die on because uh, you know he's the new captain, he's playing basically the full ninety of every meaningful match. Uh, he makes the same kind of dumb mistakes he's made since he first arrived in England. And, you know, people want to see, you know, people don't think that the Xhaka, Guendouzi, Torreira midfield works. They want to see more of Ozil. They, you know, they want to see Torreira, Guendouzi, Ceballos, you know, any other kind of combination that doesn't include Xhaka, who slows down the game, takes stupid fouls, uh, and continues to kind of make the same silly errors that, uh, have plagued him, I guess, ever since he started. And, you know, I think they were saying on the NBC broadcast of the match that Xhaka's the player that, strangely, his perception from the outside is markedly different from his perception inside. And uh, that's evidenced by the fact that he was named permanent captain. Connor, what do you think about the Granite Xhaka dilemma? Or is it a dilemma? Yeah, I'm less I'm less down on Xhaka. You know, it, it's troubling that he makes, he makes, like you said, he makes the same mistakes 
uh, every you know over and over. It seems um, I do think you know he, it's curious to me that 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 Emery doesn't trust Torreira more in that position. I mean, he obviously has kind of. Guendouzi is his guy, and Guendouzi has kind of become just—I mean, I think—I think an automatic starter, starting in the starting eleven. Um, Torreira has kind of been pushed outside of that, uh, and I think that surprised me because I don't think that that—I I would have thought at the beginning of last season that that Torreira would have eventually kind of displaced Shaka in that role. So I guess to circle back to your question, I'm not—I'm still a little—I find myself kind of a, a defender of Shaka probably more than most because um, I do think he gives a little bit of personality and just and just kind of an identity back there and um but yeah it's it's I, I also don't think that he was kind of egregiously at fault in the game against united i just uh i, I but i don't see the whole i don't think he's i don't think he's as much of a liability i guess as uh as many people seem to think so you're not on the emery out you know they're in fourth <laughs> they're in fourth place uh right now and i think with emery you know you if you give him two seasons it's it's a little. Uh, he's he's giving a lot of players opportunities to play that give you enough reason for excitement and at least optimism for you know being able to kind of see guys come through and and plug some of the holes because I don't think Arsenal is going to be a team that's going to be able to you know throw their weight around in the transfer market and kind of paper over some of the the deficiencies in the squad and you've seen you've seen some young players play well. The the, the back line was always going to be a problem. It's shambolic. It continues to be, but that was the case when he inherited the team. Um, I think you have to give him a full season before you actually kind of evaluate whether or not he's actually improved it uh, enough. Yeah, I mean, O'Hanlon voice, I guess, is the question is whether all of this is sustainable uh, to just depend on Aubameyang to conjure up magical goals uh, to win games. No, no it's, and it's, it's not. It's not. It won't be. Um, I think the question is once that, once that shine rubs off and, you know, Aubameyang either gets hurt or he goes through a, a slow patch... Are we are we gonna are they gonna be on the losing end of are we gonna see the same thing uh, continue to see the same thing? Um, Let me ask you this question, Micah, regarding the captaincy and naming Xhaka the captain. Do you think the people make too much of that? Like, does the captaincy to you really matter? Because uh, presumably people were upset because presumably if Xhaka is the captain, he'll be in the lineup. You know, like he'll be he'll feature more because he's the captain. Well, I mean, the captaincy is obviously not nothing, but I mean, like the 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 conversation around the captaincy, yes, is more so about like whether or not this person is going to feature in a lineup consistently, and how many lineups, including this person, actually work. And I mean, there's a version of of Arsenal's midfield that works with him in it. It's just that it's scarcely seen, <laughs> and I don't, I don't, I don't know exactly. I mean, like it's. I think that this is more so anxiety over Emery not knowing exactly what his best eleven is yet. Right. All right. Well, final question for you guys. Well, not final, but final on this match. Two final questions. Uh, do you think both managers are going to see the season out with their respective teams? I don't. I don't think Solskjaer will see the season out. I, I, I think don't this think is, so either. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just the squad is not at the level. It you know it, it it's hard to see him being able to kind of turn around the squad. The deficiencies are so clear, right? And What's can't it gonna fi- t- can't what, fire the players. I can't fire the players, but it, you know it's I think the, the kind of the numbers don't lie to some degree too. You know it's um, he needs to. I, I think the th- I put it this way. I think I think he could probably save himself with a 
with a deep run in Europe, you know, or a cup run or something. Um, if you could at least show that, you know, that there's the ability to kind of kind of win a win a one-off matchup here and there. But um, you, you look at the schedule, and I think six of their uh, next seven games are away from home. They don't play well away from home. It's just where the points come from. Yeah. This is the final, final question. Uh, Pepe. What to make of Pepe? Because I think he had possibly one of the worst matches I've seen a attacking player have uh, on Monday. I, I did a, a, a modest YouTube dive of his time in Lille after you were chatting shit on Monday. <laughs> about, all, the, uh, all the pens he scored, you mean? Yeah. I, well, I mean, like the thing is that like he was kind of a focal point in Lille's attack, it seemed like. A lot of things seemed to flow through him. Seems like a player that needs a lot of the ball in order to be good. And also, like, a lot of space to run into. And I, there's not really much you can do about that when Aubameyang and Lacazette are also playing, you know, similar roles. So, and then on top of that, there's just kind of, like, the the new team bump of the fact that it just doesn't seem like he's settled into playing there yet. And... I've also yet to see him settle into a game, really. Yeah, like I, he, it never seems like he he's relaxed. Yeah, I mean, back to Ozil. I mean, one would think that pairing him with Ozil or having someone in the midfield uh, to create for him, like Ozil, would help him. And they've shared very precious few minutes together, so I mean, that could, you know, be a factor. He seems he seems like he's sped up. Every you know, all of his decisions are sped up to the point where, and, and you wonder if that's. You know, if that's just kind of adjusting to a new league or if that's something that... Adjusting to the pace of the game. Yeah, fundamentally, he's just, he needs to be able to have that kind of time to, you know, do do what he wants to do. Um, I mean, I, you know, it's, I think it's pretty clear that Saka, Bukayo Saka was the better, you know... Yeah, the better Was winger. a better player on yeah. the wing there too. So it's, at some point, you know, he's going to have to keep his place. He's going to get it because because of the money they paid for him and from what he's shown. But, you know, I think uh, he may have to earn it. And Roy Keane doesn't like his body language either. So you know that's well, whatever. There's that not means. much that Roy Keane likes, <laughs> and who the fuck knows what anybody means. When he was vouching about body language. He was vouching for Solskjaer. He said he's a real, real honest guy. Got to give yeah. him time. So, so Arsenal host Bournemouth on set on Sunday. Manchester United visit Newcastle. A loss there could get the sack maybe. Uh, elsewhere, Manchester City host Wolves. That's their bogey team on Sunday. And then the big matchup actually is Saturday. Liverpool host Leicester City. You guys still believe in Leicester, yeah? And we talked about it last episode. Did you did you know that since Brendan Rodgers' first game in charge last March, Leicester have won 31 points? That total's only been eclipsed by Liverpool, 49, and Manchester City, 43 in the same period. So, I mean, that and a token will get you on the train, right? But Well, impressive. I mean, yeah. They're, they, they're the most non-Liverpool Manchester City team uh but I mean, like they 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 basically are taking advantage of the. I mean, like the kind of like power vacuum that exists in the top six right now. Because I mean, like it's not going to be Chelsea. It might not be Arsenal. It's definitely not going to be Manchester United that finishes in the top the, four. The spots are open. You know, yeah. if you're looking at them, I mean, it's not just the top spot in the top six or the top uh, in the top four. I mean, you know, I think they're sitting at third right now, and you know, I. I the game Newcastle had a guy had a guy sent off and Isaac Hayden was sent off, but I mean they just absolutely shredded him. Um, and and I think that they you kind of think about the spine of the team and you're talking about just kind of like what you're starting, you know, the shape of your starting eleven. I mean they have they got dudes in every position and and they know exactly how they want to play. 
Um, so I, 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 I enjoy them very much. I, I'm kind of regretting that I didn't take them in our, in our team draft, in our ringer draft. I thought you were going to say you regret that Arsenal didn't hire Brendan Rodgers. Yeah, let's, we'll give it time before for, for Brendan. Can I give you some breaking important news here that yeah. six minutes ago, Serge Gnabry tweeted, North London is red. Quadruple, triple X clam <laughs> with four pictures of himself celebrating his four goals. What a fucking legend. Wow. <laughs> oh, actually, wow. we didn't mention the other big Tottenham news, which uh, Micah, Adele is reportedly dating Skepta. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I, I'm out I, on this one. I, I, I did make a I did make a joke about that on Twitter. You're right. <laughs> um, it's you know them seriously. Them Tottenham losing seven to two at home uh, on under the under the floodlights in the Champions League is probably the price you got to pay for that. Yeah, now they, but now they have their first couple, so it's great for them. All right, let's get into the soundbite of the week. The story always seemed to work best when we got to Naples. That there was just something that clicked, and it happened to also be where the footage was at its strongest. And in the end, I'm making a movie here. I'm trying to make something that people are going to watch. I want the story to be visual and to be told to you via the images. And the best images and the kind of most intimate footage we had definitely was the period of time when it was in Naples. The biggest story was Naples. That's where he wins the World Cup. That's where he wins the two championships of Napoli, who have never won before and never won since to this day. So it felt like in terms of his sporting achievements, Italy and Naples was the story. Naples itself is an amazing character. And it just felt like all of the key problems that he has had to deal with in the rest of his life really all started in Naples. That is the voice of Academy Award winning director Asif Kapadia, who was interviewed by our colleague Sean Fennessy on the Big Picture podcast. And he was talking about his new movie, Diego Maradona was co-executive produced by Bill Simmons. It premieres on HBO at 9 p.m. Eastern tonight. The film is called from over 500 hours of never-before-seen never footage from Maradona's personal archives. Micah, Connor, have you seen it? I have not. I'm waiting to see it tonight. Uh, I did start watching it, but I fell asleep. <laughs> the, but it is, it, wow. it actually great. is. This segment's going to be great. I've listen, I don't mean to tell you that it wasn't amazing up to the point that I was watching it. Like it begins with a like basically a ride around with Maradona and his crew around Naples as he's about to be announced and he gives an interview in this like absolutely heroic mink coat um <laughs> talking about how you know, like I just bought this just oh this 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 whole thing is just some light, you know, I bought it cuz I wanted something cozy. Well, I'm the only one who saw it, so I guess I can. I'm the only one that can talk now. I, ha but, I have seen uh, Capetti's past two films, which uh, Senna and, and Amy, the Amy Winehouse documentary. So I, it's, it's, I am very much looking forward to it. Yeah, it's a brilliant movie. As Micah mentioned, the the film begins. It's all archival footage. First of all, it begins with this like '80s soundtrack playing. It's like a French Connection style car race through Naples. You're basically following Maradona's car. Uh, where he's arriving at the stadium. It's a world record fee arrival to Napoli after a couple of years at Barcelona. Uh, and then from there, it just covers the next seven years from 84 to 91. And in those years, as as uh, Capadia mentioned in that excerpt, you know, Napoli wins Serie A for the first, first time twice. Uh, there's the Hand of God World Cup. And there's, of course, countless scandals with Maradona, drugs, doping, you know, illegitimate children. Uh, but like Amy and like Senna, you know, there's it's not your typical documentary with sort of, um, you know, talking heads and people, you know, like interrupting the action. It feels very much like a dramatic film. 
the narrative does. And uh, it's really, really compelling. And it's a great way to do a documentary. I think uh, Kapadia mentioned in the, in, in the doc, or Sean was talking to him about the fact that Maradona obviously is still alive. And his previous two documentary subjects, Amy Winehouse and Marco Senna, are deceased. So it was a different challenge for him. And he did use a lot of interviews with uh, Maradona in Dubai, uh, where he was living at the time, like a couple years ago as he was making the film. Um, but, you know, it's like the effect of the movie, is, you, really, it's, you really get the time and place of what Nap- uh, Napoli was like in the 80s. Uh, with the drug lords and 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 the effect of the football team on the community, uh, and it's a really smart way to do the film because it's like instead of trying to cover, you know, the the breadth of Maradona's life, it's like the most kind of important seven years where the most shit happened, which is kind of like emblematic of what he experienced in other stages of his life because he usually arrives with a lot of pomp and circumstance, does crazily well. And then falls off a cliff, and then comes back. It's like uh, it's it's a really 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 good documentary. And and Connor, you just edited a huge like nine thousand word feature by Brian Phillips on our site about Maradona. It's less yeah. It's it's a check it out if you if you haven't seen it. It's it kind of touches on uh, some of the elements that they they get to in the film where it's kind of things that enter his sphere of influence that are beautiful and gorgeous end up kind of you know, becoming broken and disheveled. And, and the reverse is true too. Um, things that are kind of broken and disheveled end up becoming beautiful and glorious. And it's just that that dichotomy of, uh, between them. And I think uh, Brian also hits on the, you know, the my, one of my favorite sections was, uh, uh, you know, the 86 World Cup, how, you know, he scored two of the most iconic goals in the history of the game. And they both represent um, just kind of the genius and the cunning, but also the deceit. And that's the the England game, which, um, you know, the the hand of God goal, but also the, the amazing run. So it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's focused similarly on that period of his life in that kind of mid to early eighties where he was kind of at the height and also, uh, you know, hit, things were starting to kind of go, go sour a little bit as well. But yeah. Yeah. I mean the, that kind of turbulent lifestyle is, is really well depicted in the film. And, you know, at one point he was probably the most famous athlete in the world. And, uh, you know, for non-football fans, the story is compelling enough to keep your attention, but for football fans, like the actual footage of football in the movie is great. It's, it's really, it's a way of looking at 80s football that you don't normally see too. And all of the archival footage is amazing. So it's, couldn't recommend it more. Diego Maradona, it's on HBO tonight. Michael will finally watch the rest of it. Connor will watch it. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow about it. Uh, so before we end, let's do a quick Prem Pool, Prem Points Pool update. It's actually the same exact standing as it was the last time I gave an update. Shocker in first place with 47 total points. Connor second, 42. Miles Surrey, 37 in third. I'm, you know, sniffing him at 35 points in fourth. And Micah, who's been in the cellar the entire season at 27. Well behind. I'm, uh, About I'm, to be I'm relegated. Still, still regretting my decision to take uh, Watford over Leicester City. That's really, uh, that's holding me back. Yeah, and my, de- my, decision, back. my decision to take Everton was a little questionable too. Although I guess United's not doing much better. But Micah, Tottenham, Wolves, Villa, Newcastle. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, just Newcastle's going to get relegated. It's bleak. Wolves, it's bleak. I mean, it's bleak. have not looked like themselves in quite a while. Tottenham are a mess. And what was the other one? It was Aston Villa, right? Yeah. Yeah, newly promoted team. Sick. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> anyway, we'll keep you updated on that. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks. Actually, you guys know MLS Cup is coming. We might do a preview on the next episode. They have a whole new playoff format this year. We might need to bring in an MLS expert. Actually, Connor, you're kind of an MLS expert now as an LAFC Ultra, right? Uh, LAFC season ticket holder. I will, <laughs> I will do my best. And they're in the playoffs, and, uh, as, are the ga- they are. as are the Galaxy. Yeah. Yeah, so yep. could have an El Trafico maybe in that for MLS Cup. Anyway, thank you, Connor. Thank you, Micah, for joining me. Of course. And we will see you all in two weeks. Bye.